Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. The Marshall Project reports that prisoners making no or almost no money in prison can pay the equivalent of hundreds of dollars in the outside world to see a physician. For instance, in Oklahoma, inmates can make as little as five cents per hour, so their copay for seeing a physician is equivalent to about $580 for a minimum wage worker outside of prison. Lawmakers in Illinois recently voted to eliminate the $5 copay for medical care that the state's prisons have been charging for years. Letters and surveys have shown that copays for medical care are one of prisoners' major concerns. More than half of inmates say they avoid health care to avoid the copay. According to the John Howard Association, a state prison watchdog organization that promoted the legislation, quote, when you're denied your liberty, medical care is part of the deal. If you need it, you should get it, unquote. According to the Tampa Bay Times, a coalition of inmates, families, and reformers calling itself the Campaign for Prison Reform is protesting the Florida Department of Corrections' decision to eliminate half of the in-person prison visits and permit a private company, JPay Incorporated, to profit from video visits when used to replace in-person visits. The coalition announced that it would boycott the company if visitation cutbacks go ahead as expected. The new prison visit policy, which is supposed to go into effect this summer, will allow the 97,000 inmates in the Florida prison system to have visitors every other weekend instead of every weekend. The prisoners' families will also boycott the JPay program the Department of Corrections uses to transfer money to inmates' accounts. Instead of allowing JPay to profit from cash transfers and purchases, the families will subvert the program by sending money to the accounts through wire and bank transfers. According to the Crime Report, the Federal Bureau of Justice Statistics recently examined the recidivism rate among a large sample of prisoners over a nine-year period and found that five of six state prisoners were arrested at least once during the nine years following their release. Earlier studies used three- or five-year follow-up periods. The authors of the report say the longer study time gives a much more comprehensive picture of the criminal activity of released prisoners. Among the report's key findings was that 400,000 released prisoners accumulated almost 2 million arrests during the study period, or about five arrests per person. Also, 44% were arrested during their first year after release and 83% within nine years. Further, 77% of people who had been incarcerated for a drug crime were arrested for a non-drug crime within nine years. What's more, those who committed property crimes were more likely to be arrested than people who committed violent crimes. This week's episode is packed with news of struggles and repression. We start with coverage of Indiana prisons and two prisoners who need outside support right now. One, we hear from directly Kalfani Malik Khaldun, who calls us from the inside. Another, you'll find more about Kwame Shakur on our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. These prisoners need support right now. After that, we get updates and statements from prisoners in Florida continuing to organize within the framework of Operation Push. These reflections are particularly vital as both prisoners and people on the outside gear up for the national prison strike this August. After that, we share an update from Cindy, one of Marius Mason's supporters. A lot is changing in Marius's life, not to mention the fact that people around the world are celebrating June 11th this week, which is an international day of solidarity with Marius and other long-term anarchist prisoners. We'll begin carrying news of solidarity events and actions in next week's episode, but you can check out june11th.org to learn about what's going on. 
Hello. Uh, my name is Brother Kalfani Malik Kaldun, Indiana political prisoner. I'm calling in from Wabash Valley Correctional Facility. In the last week, I have had two scenarios occur that was completely out of the ordinary. One of them was in the wee hours of the night at 3.30 a.m., shortly after I received my Ramadan sack because I'm on I'm fasting for the month of Ramadan, officers entered my cell and told me that they had orders from internal affairs the investigators to find knives and a cell phone in my cell. They were in my cell for at least an hour and a half. They ransacked my cell. They tore up all my all my envelopes. They had my property all over the cell, me and my cellie. By the time they got done and we entered the cell, it looked like a hurricane or a tornado had been inside the cell. We asked them what sent them to us, and they said that they got an email to target our cell because we had something. And when I asked him what was that, he said we, we was allegedly supposed to have some knives, homemade knives, and a cell phone. Nothing was found in the cell. And when I asked the sergeant why did he have to tear the cell up like he did, he said, when we're sent by our superiors, this is what we have to do. The second scenario was there's a counselor who works at Wabash Valley Correctional Facility. Well, he had been an officer for at least 20 years at this facility before he became a unit counselor. This counselor entered the unit that I live on and told an offender that I owed him some money had I paid this debt. What he did was created a scenario like I had provided him with some information which would label me as an informant or prison snitch. He literally told another offender that I know Calfani owed you some money, so is he, has he paid his debt yet? This prisoner, unbeknownst to him, he's wondering where did this information come from. It didn't come from me because I did not tell the counselor anything. I hadn't talked to the counselor about anything of this nature. So I'm left to believe that the counselor's agenda was to cause me to get stabbed or beat up or labeled as a snitch in my environment where I lose my respectability, where my reputation as a political prisoner is destroyed and in question, and that a great suspicion as to, you know, whether or not I was trying to cause the other prisoner harm. Our Conrad's to do is to call Wabash Valley Correctional Facility and ask to speak to the warden, who is Richard Brown, and the assistant warden, who is Frank Littlejohn, and demand to know why hasn't something been done about what this counselor did. His actions violated information and standard of conduct for departmental staff. This policy basically controls and maintains all officers' conduct. What he did was considered fraternization with the intent of harming me. It was very unprofessional, and I would appreciate it. All of the Conrads who can hear my voice, who have the time 
to call down here and demand that justice be done, that Councilor Mifflin either be fired, reprimanded, or made to apologize, and that he correct his actions. It would be highly appreciated, you know, the assistance that y'all give me at this moment. We've also received word that co-founder and chairman of the New African Liberation Collective, Kwame Shakur, Michael Joyner, has suffered yet another assault from the staff at Pendleton Correctional Facility. We believe that Kwame's medical condition is urgent and he may have suffered a traumatic injury to the head. The assault comes shortly after Shakur was dismissed from a medical examination after insisting he be treated for an autoimmune condition caused by a TB outbreak in Pendleton. It also follows the most recent assault on him during a punitive shakedown in retaliation for his political activity. Pendleton has made Kwame Shakur a primary target in their suppression of inmate struggle, and if they are not stopped, the violence against Shakur could escalate. Pendleton was most recently in the news for the arrest of three corrections officers caught on tape severely beating an unarmed inmate. Warden Deshaun Zatecki assured the public that the arrest was proof of Pendleton's commitment to inmate safety. Yet, assault on inmates, of which Kwame Shakur is just the most recent, is a consistent occurrence at Pendleton. You can find more information on the call-in on our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. And now, updates from Florida prisoners. So I just want to just read these two letters that give a little bit of insight and you know, some updates on communication we're hearing from people who are involved in Florida prison system organizing or communication with people on the outside in some capacity. This one is from May 24th, 2018, so just last week. And it starts off, greeting with power. I received your letter today. I'm hearing or reading that organizations are gearing up for Juneteenth. I saw it in the San Francisco Bayview newspaper, volume 43, May 2018. My article was in the February issue pertaining to the Operation Push protest in Tallahassee. As a matter of fact, this issue has pictures of participation and states that it shut down the DOC headquarters for five hours. I want to start a small chapter of I Walk in these gates, but I must recruit some dedicated soldiers and People are not going to be folding under the oppression of the struggle. It's not about ease. Plus, I am fighting my case and have been locked up for 26 years. But through faith and to right the wrongs of the 13th Amendment, the prison system is not about rehabilitation, in particular in Florida. The parole system hasn't worked in years, and people are still locked up from the 70s. For example, my dad, 1975, who ain't killed nobody. It's ridiculous. These people get paid 96000 a year to hold 4,200 inmates under a non-existent parole system, and the prices in canteen need to be boycotted. I got a catalog from California, and the prices are cheaper under their vendor. Florida's behind the times and under a Jim Crow regime. It's time to turn up the heat in Tallahassee and make legislative changes to these draconian laws. I will keep you posted. So that's from a prisoner who's in one of the panhandle prisons. The second letter I want to share is from someone who just recently heard us last weekend at the close of the, uh, the National IWALK conference that was, was hosted here in Florida in the Gainesville area. Uh, this is you know, kind of epicenter in the prison belt here in, in Alachua County. We're surrounded by almost 20 major prison facilities that you can drive you know, within an hour, about 50 miles or so to. So one of the prisons that we went to 
was a complex, actually, of prisons known as FSP, Union Correctional, and New River CI. And this prisoner wrote, we got the letter today, May 27th, is when it was written at 2.12 p.m. To whom it may concern, here I sit in solitary confinement back in the G dorm, and as I look out my window, I see protesters gathered outside the fence line. I really don't know a lot about their cause, but if they're protesting, uh, they must be protesting for me and not against me. Currently, I'm in confinement because an officer said I disrespected him, which I did, but only after he disrespected me first. When I received my property list, I noticed the police in charge of packing my personal property had stolen or thrown away a lot of my stuff. All my hygiene, my gym shorts, my fingernail clippers, my colored pencils, my batteries for my MP3. Why are they allowed to get away with criminal activities, the same activities that put us in here? They're supposed to be examples to us, but they're worse than we are. I noticed the police just showed up outside. He's talking about the protest there. He goes back to his story. I'm serving 30 years for taking money out of a cash register at a gas station. No weapon, no violence. I went to trial because my state-provided attorney told me to go to trial and that I would win. And when I lost, I appealed. The judge was going to drop my time to 15 years if the attorney would admit that he told me to go to trial. But I guess you know what he said. He said he told me not to go to trial. Isn't anyone honest anymore? Yes, I messed up in life, unfortunately. I never had a father to teach me, but being in prison away from my two teenage daughters is hard enough. They don't pay us for working, but when we refuse to work, we get thrown to solitary confinement for 60 days and are only allowed five-minute showers a week while we're in there. I don't like to ask my family for money, and I don't care about food from canteen, but my hygiene items, my shorts, my colored pencils that I use to draw for my kids, how am I going to replace that stuff? And if I complain too much or too loudly about it, they'll only beat me up and lock me in confinement again. The two responsible are Miss Officer Reed and Mr. Sergeant Sanchez. Some would say what they did is retaliation against me, and others would say they're just common criminals who haven't been caught yet. For stealing $170, I was given 30 years, but they can steal $50 of personal property and get away with it. Please, if you can help in any way, even if only a pen pal or someone to talk to, when life seems too much, I'd appreciate it. I read those letters. Some of them are um, you know, people that we've been corresponding with for years now, and some are people who are just now hearing about us because of the momentum building, uh, which started through the Operation Push protests and will be continuing and escalating through the Juneteenth solidarity actions. The other thing I think it's important to mention in the Florida Department of Corrections system is that Kevin Rashid Johnson was just able to get uh, news out about recent abuse that's been going on, uh, including the loss of his personal property and the destruction of uh, correspondence that he had written to both legal counsel and news media. It's not the first time that he's faced this retaliation, but it seems to be increasing. He was once again put into a strip cell confinement where all of his property is stripped for several days, including all clothes, just left in his shorts. As a result of these ongoing abuses, uh, his support campaign is now calling for an immediate transfer out of Florida DOC back to the Virginia DOC system where he he's has an interstate compact. There's a, a list of demands and a, a list of numbers to call. And I don't want to take airtime to read off uh, all the phone numbers, but this is circulating pretty widely. Kevin Rashid Johnson and his D.C. number is 158039. You can call on the Florida Department of Corrections to uh, return him to his the state of origin that Florida has a compact with in Virginia. You know, I think that would be a huge step in getting him out of this panhandle prisons in North Florida, which you know I think are among some of the, the worst in the entire country.
Marius Mason is an anarchist Earth Liberation Front transgender prisoner who's currently in a women's prison in Texas. Marius was arrested in 2008 as part of the Green Scare campaign that the federal government did to crack down on environmental activists who were doing direct action to save the planet and bring attention to subjects that were being not addressed in the public eye. Marius was involved in an arson or of a laboratory that was doing GMO research, and it was really instrumental in bringing attention to the dangers of GMO and just the horrible ways that Monsanto and the government itself were supporting the destruction of communities in other countries with the instrumentation of GMO crops. He was arrested for that and a few other things. He was charged with a terrorism enhancement, and all of this happened because his partner had um, turned state's evidence and narked on him. He was given like the largest sentence, really, of anybody to that date for actions in which no one was harmed. It was definitely a way for the government to try to shut down the movement and terrorize people who are trying to bring injustice to light by direct action. Is not even halfway through a sentence yet, I don't think. You know, not only is it just so awful what happened to Marius, but one of the things that's really important for us to remember is that he's still in prison and that anarchists and people of conscience need to support our comrades who put their lives and safety on the line by doing these kinds of actions. And it might not be exciting to do long-term support, and it might be kind of depressing because people are just in jail and they don't get out <laughs> for a long time. But it's super, super important to keep Marius and other long-term prisoners in our forefront to prioritize them in our lives. Marius was in a high-security facility until a year ago when he was moved. We thought he was getting moved to general population, but he was actually moved to a smaller unit that's traditionally, it's the RADP unit, which is like a drug rehab unit. His psychiatrist in, in the prison advocated for him to get moved there as a way to get him out of the high security unit and into something more like less isolationist. So it's kind of a weird program he's been in. He just graduated from the program itself, but it's a little bit of like intensive group therapy and a little bit of like brainwashing. I think Jeremy Hammond is also in a program like this. So it's like intensive therapy all day long, <laughs> basically. And he did in the last year, we were hoping when he got out of the high security unit that he'd have a lot more contact with the outside world and a lot more ability, just kind of like mental clarity and ability to uh, write letters and be in contact. But since he's been in this in this really intensive program, he hasn't just had any even literal time to be reaching out to people. So we want people to know who are his supporters. Like if he hasn't written you, just please, please keep writing him. He graduated from the program, but he still has like a year where he's in this sort of like middle ground area where he's involved with the RDAP program as like a mentor. He has a certain amount of hours of group therapy he has to do and all this stuff. So he doesn't have as much time as he would like to do the art and um, correspondence that he wants to. But he does get to go outside, which has been amazing, because when he was in the high security unit, he never got to go outside. So he talks a lot about how grateful he is to be able to feel the ground and touch trees and things like that, feel the air. He also has just more activities he's doing, like he he's taking piano lessons 
and him and a bunch of the prisoners did a big mural in the prison recently although they had to they had to take it down like about three weeks later but it was like cool that he got to do something i mean not cool as in like the prison's cool but at least like he had more he has more contact with prisoners who were able to like connect with him on deeper ways than he did when he was in high security and he said recently that he for a while he was advocating for a trans study group sort of support group and it wasn't allowed because a group of like two or more people with a special interest are considered like a gang but they just recently allowed this group to go through so he should be starting that soon and the other thing marius and his support team and his lawyer are part of is trying to do a constitutional challenge to the texas legal code which disallows name change in federal prison and this will be a really groundbreaking it'll be a good precedent for other states to be able to follow it challenges a specific thing in the texas code which doesn't allow federal prisoners to change their names while in prison or for two years afterwards. And since it's been shown for transgender people that a name change is a part of medically necessary care, we expect the lawyers to challenge it constitutionally on refusing medical care, the right to medical care. So that's being fought by Marius's lawyer and Trans Pride Initiative, which is this amazing trans group in Dallas-Fort Worth. Other than that, Marius is pretty depressed. He feels pretty worried that he's not going to be approved. He got approved for hormones about a year ago. Yeah, maybe a year and a half ago. For the last like eight months or maybe longer, he's been on like the lowest dose possible and they won't send his medical records to his lawyer. They're saying it's like a security risk to send his medical records to his lawyer. They won't tell him why. They won't increase his dose of hormones to an amount that's typical. And with the Trump administration's awful policies on cutting back all rights for people all across the board and also especially transgender people's rights, the Bureau of Prisons has just a really awful new policies. They're just whittling away all the things that were starting to go in the right direction in terms of health care for transgender prisoners. And so we should know more about that in the next few weeks. So he's pretty depressed about that, but somehow keeps his hopes up in a lot of ways. He's been working a little bit more on art and submitting poetry to um, different magazines, poetry magazine he submitted to recently and got published in um, a book called Hold a journal. It's a LGBTQ-focused literary magazine that comes out of Philly, and also in a New York-based trans male quarterly called Original Plumbing. They just published a bunch of his artwork, so that was really exciting. I just want to say one next step that would really be wonderful if anybody wanted to do, but that we've never been able to find anybody to do, is that Marius and other vegan prisoners really need some group or someone to spearhead a campaign for more vegan options on the prison diet because there's not really enough to stay stay physically healthy in prison right now. Other steps that most people can take is you can go to Marius's website at supportmariusmason.org and learn more about his case and find ways to support him on there. You also can always get letters. You need to address them to Marie Mason and the address is on the website as well. But you can write the letter to Marius. Don't include anything illegal or any glitter or stickers or anything. One thing Marius really loves getting letters about is just regular things that people are doing on the outside. You know, he's been inside for a long time and he he says he's starting to sort of lose touch with what regular life is like. So he really loves just hearing about what people are doing 
like what it looks like outside. Anything that brings you passion, he loves to hear about. Projects people are working on or just daily life kinds of activities. He can't write back to people. He has a limited amount of people he can write back to and they all have to get approved. But it's he really appreciates any letters he can get. And finally, here's Marius's statement. Marius writes, Thank you for coming together again to support all the long-term anarchist prisoners. Your support and encouragement are the life breath for anyone trying to keep heart and soul together while spending so many years away from the inspiration and motivation that our committed communities of resistance provide. It seems like the longer I am away, the more those memories seem necessary to me, feeding my spirit with the knowledge that a new world is possible. I want to wish my comrades in the Earth First, IWW, Animal Rights, and Native Sovereignty movements many victories, as well as to extend my love and hope to the good friends struggling for queer and trans rights. My blood pumps still because you live and fight. I want to send a wild wolf howl to all the anarchist buddies and friends yet to be met who've sent me their stories, their love, and their vision describing a world without hierarchy. I see through your eyes and dream with you. My life is small here, though still bigger than it was in my old constricted unit. I've met many, many wonderful people and so many new trans friends. Yet, I have such limited capacity and I've been feeling my age and some age-related health problems. But I continue to advocate for my request to complete my medical transition. I'm discouraged to see that the TEC, which decides cases like mine for the BOP, has not met yet, though I have been told by staff here that my case would be heard this past week. I will keep our community informed as to how long that process continues to unfold. It is a long arc towards justice, but with your help and support, surely all trans prisoners asking for medical relief will be vindicated. I feel like it is so hard now to contribute meaningfully to creating the world that we dream of so passionately. I find that it is difficult to follow the news of our campaigns in the free world to defend the water, to protect our animal brothers and sisters, to demand a society that is not built on hate and exclusion, but rather built on love and inclusion. But I am committed to supporting my fellow prisoners here and try to do that work with integrity, offering comfort and support in both their day-to-day -day hurts and troubles and in their, are long-term goals for dignity and ultimately freedom. I am so much stronger because I know that you are with us, helping us to persist until that day of freedom comes. You have my everlasting gratitude for carrying me through these long seasons of waiting. I am forever in your debt. Stay strong, do right, be brave. I am so proud to call you my family. Love and solidarity, Marius Mason. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine wants your feedback. You can reach us via email at kitelineradio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512, or you can use this number to record a message to a loved one behind bars. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. 
Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.